to get comfortable with uncomfortable conversations. We need to say if what we're offering is not having the effect that we would like, let's change it. Let's get as much information as we can about the folks that we're trying to serve and let the data lead us. Welcome to The Bid, where we break down what's happening in the markets and explore the forces changing the economy and finance. I'm your host, Ann Ackerley, head of BlackRock's Retirement Group. In episode two of our three-part mini-series on retirement, you're going to hear a conversation from the live panel I moderated at our recent retirement forum. It was called An Equitable Approach to Retirement. As I mentioned in the last episode, at BlackRock, we believe that Americans should be able to retire with dignity on their own terms. And in this session, I spoke with Karen Andres, Holly Verdine, and Jamie Rose, who are at the forefront of changing the retirement space to be more inclusive and who are actively bridging the gaps of racial and gender equity. It was a lively, thought-provoking conversation where we looked at savings disparities, what solutions exist, and what more can and must be done to make the retirement system a more equitable space. Welcome back from the break. I know we all hear a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but I don't know that it's necessarily been a focus of workplace retirement plans and financial wellness plans. I think we all know that there is a significant gender and racial wealth and retirement gap in the United States. And some of the reasons we know are wage gaps, we know it's whether somebody has access to a plan, we know it could be from unpaid caregiving. But actually today, we're going to focus more on workers who probably have access to a workplace plan or a financial wellness plan or something adjacent. And we're going to drill in on whether women and people of color use them differently or do they use them less? And do they not reap all the benefits? And I'm going to be provocative because I think we all know that today our employee bases are becoming much more diverse. And so I think it's critical that we understand the diversity of our plan participants and the implications that this might have for how they plan and save. And ultimately, maybe we should posit that we need to rethink some of our approaches, whether it's in plan design, whether it's in communications, maybe it is new benefits. I don't know. But how do we make sure that we have equitable outcomes for everyone within our workplace? And so with that sort of as the introduction, I am super excited about this panel. It's an important topic. And we've got three experts who are grappling with this and doing something about it. They're really moving the needle on trying to make things more equitable. But let me briefly introduce them. Karen Andres, who's been in the retirement space her whole career, is the project director of Retirement Savings Initiative at the Aspen Institute Financial Security Program, where she works to close access and policy gaps. And then we have Yamie Rose, the CEO and founder of Color, with its digital wellness platform of Color Supports Workers of Color with FinTech Saving and Budgeting. Yamie, you've spent about two decades, I think, at the intersection of financial services and financial communications, previously at Pru and BlackRock. And then Holly Verdine is here from Mercer, where she leads the U.S. Defined Contribution OCIO Group, as well as the financial wellness business at Mercer. And you work very closely with clients on all things retirement. Thank you for being here. So let's dive in. I think to start, 
it's important to understand whether there are disparities in what we see in retirement savings before we could even start to think about what solutions could be. So what do we know? And Jamie, I'm going to start off with you because I know you have some data on this. And then we'll go to Karen and Holly. And just what do we know today? So great question. And thank you for having me. So a good place to start would be the just general information of the racial wealth gap, right? So we know that there's a 10 to 1 racial wealth gap in terms of the amount of wealth held by white Americans and specifically black Americans. And we know there's a 7 to 1 racial wealth gap in terms of the disparity between white Americans and the Latino community. You go a step below that and you start to focus on retirement savings and retirement readiness. And you see that sans social security, there is a 7 to 1 savings gap between black Americans and white Americans when it comes to retirement savings. And that's about a five to one gap when it comes to the Latinx community. So this has serious ripple effects. The financial fragility, especially that people of color and workers of color face in this country, manifests itself in a number of ways. If, for example, people of color, when they're changing jobs, which, by the way, we will do a little bit more frequently because it's an opportunity to get that little 20 to 30 percent bump, you'll see that there's leakage there. We're much less likely to have that plan roll over to an IRA. We're more likely to cash that out. You'll also see in terms of savings rates, right, on a monthly basis, folks of color save about 25% less a month. And a lot of that has to do with its root is in the financial fragility that comes from the racial wealth gap. But there's competition for dollars. There is access to different plans, right? So there's an access issue. When there is not an access issue, as we see, if you look at the public sector, there's a lot more access there. You see an improvement, but you still see lower savings numbers. I would challenge the notion that we've done a great job on the accumulation front. I think It has worked really well for some people. And the tools and the practices that we've put in place work if you are probably starting at the same point. But it's really key and important to note that for a lot of folks of color in this country, you're trying to reverse, a lot of people say 400 years, but you're talking about decades and decades, at least since the civil rights movement, of laws that have made it prohibitive and social constructs that have made it prohibitive for people of color to generate wealth. You know, our work on the retirement saving system at the Aspen Institute comes from a place of deep Uh, optimism about the system. And I found myself nodding, with agreeing, yes, we have built this incredible thing, even if its birth was somewhat accidental. But with $10.4 trillion in wealth, serving millions and millions of American workers, and it's the second largest source of household wealth right after home equity. So I think we are optimistic about what the system is capable of. Also, we're not going to close the racial wealth gap, the gender wealth gap, the geographic wealth gaps the generational wealth gaps, right? There's a number of wealth gaps that we're up against. We're not going to close those gaps without this. So I think there's fundamentally a level of optimism. I don't need to repeat the stats that Yemi shared, but I will say that I was looking at the survey of consumer finances last night in preparation, and I actually brought up my notes because I want to make sure I get it right. But for working age families who have balances and retirement plans, the median white family has $50,000 saved compared to Black or Latino families who have $20,000. That's the median, not the average. The average is much higher, skewed by these folks who've been participating and contributing for a long time. How do we feel about $50,000 for the white family and, of course, $20,000 for the Black or Latino family? Right. I think that there's a lot of work to do. I'll also say that if you dig into the Bureau of Labor Statistics data, you'll find that there are 24 million American workers who have access to a plan at work but aren't saving at all aren't contributing. And we'll get into a little bit later what that means, but I think understanding who those folks are and what's driving their decision to either opt out or not opt in if they have an opt-in plan, I think will be really important to getting some of these numbers up. 
Holly, anything you want to add to set the stage? Yeah, I'm going to reference a report that Mercer put out last year called Stepping Up for Equity. And the report was really designed to help employers address some career, health, and retirement savings disparities with their employee populations. The report really agreed with some of the things that my esteemed panelists just referenced. So you know what Karen said, of course, the defined contribution savings plan is a major source of wealth for many Americans, but it is subject to all of the same forces that are driving broader wealth inequality. And all the statistics that Yamie mentioned around lack of access for people of color, lack of savings, lack of accumulation because of those things. And also it found that people of color tend to invest more conservatively than their white counterparts. So there's a lot there. But I'm going to just take this in a little bit different direction, Anne, and that is the behavior of companies when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion with their defined contribution programs. So the report found that a company's understanding the utilization of their people of color when it comes to their retirement savings plans and their financial wellness programs is really important. Employers are missing a big opportunity to leverage data that they either have or have access to, to really understand some of those behaviors. So just to give you a couple statistics, 90% of employers in this survey failed Mm -hmm. to track the investment behavior of people by race and ethnicity. 88% of companies failed to track savings behavior by race or ethnicity And then 80% of companies failed to target or customize their financial wellness programs to people of color. And so we just think that employers can really start digging into the disparities through the data that they have to start casting their plan design decisions through the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion. If I can add, the benefits world has generally said, okay, we don't see color, we're not going to see race. But the result of that is that you're not seeing the disparate outcomes that are rooted in race. Race is the biggest predictor of wealth in this country. I'm on stage right now. I'm. It's fair to say that if you were describing me, you'd say he's just a black man at stage, right? And I own that, and it's my racial identity is a big part of who I am. And all that is beautiful and negative that comes with that in this country, I take that with me. It follows me in my FICO score. It follows me in all of these things. So when we talk about personalization, we need to get comfortable with uncomfortable conversations. We need to say, okay, if what we're offering is not having the effect that we would like, let's change it. Let's leverage our employee resource groups that already coalesce around race. Let's have conversations, get as much information as we can about the folks that we're trying to serve and let the data lead us. Math is math, right? So it doesn't have an opinion. If the data is telling you that you have a subset of employees that have a problem and that are struggling Let's lean into that data and help them just as we would new parents that need our support. Not everyone in the company gets that benefit, but we recognize that new parents need childcare support. And so we offer it. So let's lean in. I'll add one more data point that is adjacent to retirement savings, but I think deeply relevant. If we're talking about some disparities, I think emergency savings is retirement adjacent. Recently at an event where Ann and I were a few weeks ago, it was provocatively suggested at our Aspen Leadership Forum on Retirement Savings that maybe what we should be automatically enrolling people into is actually emergency savings first with retirement savings as the sidecar. But to this point, 36% of Black workers have no emergency savings. 28% of Latino workers have no emergency savings as compared to 24% of white households. Everyone needs emergency savings. We should get all of those down to zero, but you can see that there is a disproportionate effect on households of color for all the reasons Yamie mentioned. That also matters for not only participation, but cash out on the backside at job change. Two thirds of all hardship withdrawals come from black employees, two thirds. 
fact. Those are numbers. Just, it's, <laughs> the data is what the data is. Two thirds. So sometimes it's to pay for medical expenses. Medical um, expenses. Right? Yeah. When they have an HSA. Ian, can I just say one? Yeah, go. So if I'm reading the minds of people in the room, I would bet that at least some of you are thinking like, that's great, guys. Talk about the data. I don't have the data. My record keeper doesn't collect that data. We don't have that data in our HR systems. I have concerns about having that data, but there are solutions underway. So we're going to talk about some of them as we go through the panel. But one step that people can do now is just encourage your employees to self-identify in your HR systems. That's one step we can all be doing right now. I'll just jump right in. In pursuit of a more inclusive and effective retirement saving system, of course, part of what we need to do beyond the retirement saving system as it currently exists is expand access to the 57 million American workers who do not have access, right? And (laughs) within plans, there is a huge opportunity to improve outcomes. The challenge from a public good perspective, a public policy perspective, and a leadership perspective is that the analysis that Holly is talking about is happening in very small pockets, which is exciting. It's exciting that some employers are starting to say, wow, it actually really matters that I know how are my employees opting in or opting out? Are they auto-escalating? What does the investment lineup look like? What are they selecting? Hardship withdrawals, loans, and cash out, among other things. And how does that vary by race, gender, age, marital status, income, all of these demographic factors that right now live in different systems, usually within an employer. And so we have been partnering with our friends at Morningstar and Desia to recruit a coalition of the willing of employers who are stepping up to say, hey, we will connect those data systems and contribute our data on an anonymous basis to basically aid in the public understanding of what do we need to do from a plan design perspective? What can we do? What are the levers that we have within our control that we can, or we can change some of those outcomes? What are the benefits that we may need to add that are adjacent, whether it's emergency savings, whether it's student loan debt support, a very important one for issues of racial equity in particular, and move in time to a set of sort of action recommendations. So we, at the moment, have, I think, hundreds of thousands of participants in the database. We're lined up to have millions by the end of the year based on the pipeline. But I'll just say that we would be very interested in talking to any plan sponsor who is eager to step up. And I'll just, the last thing I'll say is that I think when we talk to the plan sponsors who are really interested in this, there are two things driving their interest. One is Morningstar has been leading their CEO, Kanal Kapoor, is deeply committed to this and has directed his team to generate a terrific customized readout, an out custom plan analysis for free to any of the plan sponsors who participate. And I'll say that I think what gets our benefits and HR friends excited is that this is a way for the benefits pillar of a company to really make good on a lot of the DEI commitments that have have been made, rightfully so, over over the last few years. So we're very interested in chatting with folks who are interested. We did want to end on what's the one thing anybody in this room could do coming out of this. Collect the data, right? So talk to your people, start the conversation. You will find that something you probably perceive as being a really tricky, difficult conversation filled with minefields will be a very welcome conversation for folks. Frankly, in the DI community, all that's been offered to them is like diversity training for other folks, right? So you're talking to folks that will benefit directly from these initiatives. You'll find it to be very welcoming. Do you want the last word, Karen? I I mean, I'll take it. Go. Uh, (laughs) You all know what I want you to do. But I will say that, so Aspen Institute was founded in 1949 by business leaders, actually, in the wake of World War II, who said, what is the role of corporate leadership? in a good society. 
in a free, just, and equitable society. I think there's an opportunity, given the wealth gaps in this country that I believe are coming to define our society and unfortunately impact our democracy, I think that there's an opportunity for us to all put on our white hat as leaders and understand what we have our hands on the controls of, which is one of the most powerful wealth-generating systems in this country, and to treat it as such, right? This is not a benefit. This is part of a trillion-dollar wealth-generating machine that if we stepped into that leadership moment, I think there's such good that we could do, not only for our participants and our plans, but also, frankly, for our society and our democracy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Bid and this retirement mini-series. If you haven't already, check out the previous episode where I discuss some of the challenges facing retirement investors. Coming up on our final episode of the retirement mini-series, BlackRock's Gargi Chowdhury, head of iShares Investment Strategy and Markets Coverage, sits down with Matt Seufer, head of distribution for BlackRock's Retirement Group, at our 2022 Retirement Forum to discuss what's happening in the markets today, the road ahead, and the impact on retirement investors. Make sure you subscribe to The Bid wherever you get your podcasts. This material is intended for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice, a recommendation or an offer or solicitation to purchase or sell any securities, funds or strategies to any person in any jurisdiction in which an offer, solicitation, purchase or sale would be unlawful under the securities laws of such jurisdiction. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change without notice. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risks. BlackRock does and may seek to do business with companies covered in this podcast. As a result, listeners should be aware that the firm may have a conflict of interest that could affect the objectivity of this podcast. For more information, visit blackrock.com forward slash the bid.